0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is me, Steffi Cohen, and today I have the pleasure of sitting down with the amazing Tyron Spong. Tyron is a Surinamese Dutch professional boxer and mixed martial artist and formal kickboxer. As a boxer, he held the WBC and the WBO, Latino Heavyweight, titles. In kickboxing, he's a former WFCA cruiserweight champion, Glory 95 KG Slam Champion, and Showtime 95 World Champion. He is an absolute beast of a human being and and so, so, so interesting. Um, So today I'm going to share a little bit of his upbringing, his story, his mindset, how he approaches fighting, and so much more.
1: What's up, everyone? It's your favorite podcast producer, Nick Tricana, here to give you a word from our incredible sponsor over at Element. Listen, you're not getting enough electrolytes or salt in your diet. I see it, Steffi sees it, Hayden sees it, we all see it. Element is an electrolyte drink mix with no sugar, no artificial ingredients, and no BS. Everyone needs electrolytes, especially those on low-carb diets, practice intermittent fasting, are physically active, or sweat a lot. But don't just take my word for it, I mean the proof is in the pudding. U.S. Olympians, players in the NFL, NBA, NHL, and even our own special forces drink Element. I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm the pinnacle of self-performance, but ever since Steffi turned me on to Element, I've seen vast improvements in my everyday training and recovery. You guys can try Element today with a totally risk-free, no-questions-asked refund policy. And you know what? Because we love y'all so much over here at Hybrid Unlimited, we're going to hook you up with a free sample pack of Element just for you. Each sample pack includes eight grab-and-go packets in a variety of different flavors. All you have to do is go to drinkelement.com hybrid. That's drinklmnt.com slash hybrid. Again, that's drinklmnt.com slash hybrid for your free sample pack of eight grab and go element packets. Stay salty, my friends. Now back to the podcast.
0: Tyron fucking Spung. Welcome to Hybrid Unlimited. How are you today?
2: Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for having me.
0: No, thank you for finally coming here.
2: Uh, thank you for finally making fun.
0: <laughs> no, 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 I insist. Thank you for after the hundredth and tenth time that you were going to say you're going to come, finally coming.
2: No, thank you for grazing me. <laughs> <laughs> you know?
0: You're ridiculous. You know, so you drove like, what, two hours from your farm? Where's your farm? No,
2: it's like 50 minutes. Oh. It's 50 minutes. It's in Portland. in Portland.
0: What uh? What do you have there?
2: Oof, um, well... If I have to call out everything, it's going to take half the podcast, but um, different type of birds, exotic birds, uh, macaws, uh, black palm, cockatoos, toucans, different parrots, um, different soft bills, uh, chickens, ducks, peacocks, turkeys, sheep, goat, horses, uh, fish, pigeons, rabbits, tortoise, turtles, and I probably forgot something.
0: Have you, or who helps you keep uh, upkeep all of them?
2: Normally I try to do most of it myself, but um, I have somebody living on the property that helps me uh, maintain. And Is it a lot of it? work? It is if you fall behind, but if you keep up with it, it's not that much, two hours a day.
0: Well, have you ever been just super drawn to animals, or how did that come about?
2: Yeah, I, um, I'm from Suriname, South America, um, so it's biggest part of the Amazon. It's 93% is untouched rainforest there. Um, my grandfather was... Uh, always in the jungle. And he would bring home different type of birds and monkeys and fish and he had everything. And um, as a small kid, like a baby, I was two, three years old. Every time we went to visit, um, he would send me home with a bird or something. And I guess that's where my love started. Um, and I'm part native. So I, uh, I'm i half native, half, uh, a mix and I guess being part of the Amazon nature is it's just in me so I've always loved nature I still do and love animals
0: I love that what um how long how long did you live in Suriname for
2: I moved to the Netherlands when I was five almost six years old
0: okay do you remember much from yeah
2: yeah 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 I remember it's crazy I remember as far as being what, two three years old
0: that's crazy
2: and obviously after that I used to visit uh, a lot go on holidays back home um, when I was much younger not as much because uh, it was expensive and single mom my mom um, you know tickets were expensive especially to Suriname I don't know why they do that but you have a lot of people from Suriname living in in the Netherlands, because it was a former co- former colony of the Dutch, mm. so um, the tickets are ridiculous. And um, but as I start getting older and I start fighting and making my money, I would I was there two three times a year every year.
0: So you moved your you and your parents moved from Suriname to to Holland.
2: Yeah, my mom, me and my mom, you and, and my mom. sisters. Yeah. And
0: then the rest of your family stayed in Suriname.
2: A big part of them already lived in, in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands, okay. um, and obviously the other part lives still in Suriname.
0: Okay, when was the last time you were there?
2: Before COVID.
0: How is it there now?
2: Um, what's, it,
0: what's it like there? Like, What's the living situation, the social climate?
2: It's a... How, are you, how can you compare it? it it's like an island vibe. Um, you could say... I, I took Pedro there one time. Really? So, it's... it's He said it's similar to Cuba. Okay. But, obviously, the people are free there. They could do whatever they want.
0: Of course. What's yeah. the um, native language?
2: Surinamese. And that's... Uh, I know the next question is what is it like Um, nothing you ever heard before it's a mixture of the slaves made it up when they escaped and it's a a mixture of broken English with some Spanish and some African words and so it's all mixed up and to give you an example if if I would say Um, I I am walking, I would say, me, waka. Mm. So walking, waka, Mm, you hear the similarity. And then if I would say, uh, open the door, I would say, opa, doro. Mm -hmm. So door, doro, you hear the similarity. So, but that's just the basic things, but most things you, you can't even recognize.
0: Got you. What um, what got you into fighting? And how old were you when you started fighting?
2: Um. So when I when I moved to the Netherlands, um, my mom had obviously needed to go back to take care of paperwork and immigration stuff, etc. So she left me behind in Amsterdam. Went back home for a month. But when you're five years old. A month seems like a year so I felt alone and I felt ripped away you know like when you rip somebody away from the jungle from Mm -hmm. nature from everything and now I'm in a concrete jungle I'm not happy I'm missing my mom so it was very lonely and um, things were not really pleasant for me that period of my life Um, and I um, I became a little bit, or maybe I was already, maybe I was born a a little bit of a rebellion, um, but that certainly didn't help me. Um, So when she came back and we we moved in with my sister and um, I just got into a lot of fights at school because probably because I was just a a little unhappy kid, um, that continued in the neighborhood because it was not an easy neighborhood where I grew up in a lot of drugs and uh, criminality and you know criminal activities and um, you had to fight you had to fight if you wanted to survive there. So um, a lot of street fights got stabbed got this got that got shot at Um, so when I was around 14 years old 13 almost 14 years old i saw one of the kids from school uh, riding his bike and i said where are you going and he said i'm going to the gym so i followed him and i looked inside i walked in i looked inside and i I heard this sound of mitts you know like guys kicking the pads and hitting mitts and i i remember smelling the, the, the 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 smell of thai oil and i looked inside and i saw them training and was like I can do this mm-hmm. so I, I, I ran home got my shorts came back and I started training right there and then and I don't know what it was maybe natural ability instinct I was very skinny I was like 130 pounds maybe at, at 14 13 years old and um, I was Sparring with some guys that are training for a long time and I was doing very well I I was getting the better of them Mm -hmm. and the guys in the gym were like Who's this? Mm -hmm. Who's this little kid and they called in a junior champion? (laughs) He gave me the worst whooping I ever had like Received in my life and he dropped me with a body shot and um, I Was so upset that from that day on, I never missed, uh, for a year, I never missed training for a year straight. And after a few days, I went to the coach, uh, Lucien was his name, and I was like, hey coach, I wanna fight. And he was laughing, he was like, you wanna fight? You're, you're not even here for a week. Just keep keep on, keep showing up. After a week, after a month, I was like, I wanna fight. After a month, a month after, I was like, I wanna fight and then after a year of training he said you can fight and I had my first fight and uh, I won by knockout and kickboxing kickboxing well, yeah. yeah and that's when the buck bit and uh, that same year I became junior champion of the Netherlands um, sh- shortly after that um, I became champion of the Benelux I became European champion and by the age of 18 I became world champion. Um, That's when I turned pro when I was 18 and I had like 12 fights in a year, uh, which was unheard of. I fought every month, sometimes two times a month. That's
3: crazy.
0: Would you just like not take almost any damage when you fought? Uh,
2: No, because I I used to like, I was so fast and explosive I, I won quick. So that made it that it was possible for me to fight again. And um, my coach was a no-nonsense guy. Um, You know, tough love. And injured or not, I had to fight. You know, that's how I was brought up in the sport. So nowadays you see things differently and uh, people get treated differently. But back then it was just you're... If I had an injury on my right leg, he said, well, you got a left leg and you got two hands, so don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. And that, that was it.
0: Did your coach see, when you were 13, 14, when you first came in the gym, did he see the potential as well in you?
2: He never told me. Uh, like I said, he never made me any compliments. He never said good job or whatever, because, I mean, if you did good, that's what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But now thinking back of it, I think he he did see something in me uh, because he gave me his time and effort. Even if I didn't get a tap on my shoulder or a good job or a compliment, he was there and he put me to work and I think he wouldn't do that if he didn't believe in me. Um,
0: Did you, uh, who was your biggest support? Like did you have anybody else giving you some like words of affirmation about how good you were doing or did you not need that? Did you have maybe a training partner that encouraged you or was it all kind of intrinsic?
2: Well, my biggest support at that time was for sure my my mom. Um, She used to drive me sometimes but Mostly I would walk. It was a 40-minute walk back uh, to the gym and back home. Every day, winter, rain, didn't matter. I I used to walk to the gym. And uh, I had that same guy that whooped me the first day that I showed up. His name was uh, Tarek, Tarek Elidrisi, but um, he's not alive anymore. He got killed, and... He used to push me uh, until we, I leveled up and we became equal and until the end where I just surpassed and he quit and he was my biggest fan, one of my biggest fans because he knew where I came from and uh, the work we put in together. Mm-hmm. Um, but a few years back, he got, he got shot and killed. Oh my God! Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, oh, where? Where did that happen?
2: In Amsterdam.
0: Jesus. Yeah. That's heavy, man. Wow. When um, so during that, when did you know that that, that fighting was gonna be your kind of full time gig? Were you in school at that time as well?
2: Yeah. Don't ask me how, but I got my degree in business and uh, uh, management. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, because I every every morning my mom used to wake me up and I was like I'm free the first four quarters so don't don't wake me up <laughs> and I used to skip school I poor lady my mom bought all these expensive books and uh, by the end of the school year they were still in the box on un, unpacked um, and every took any books to school not even a backpack I used to take a pen and put it in my pocket and go to class and
0: oh my god who ma- was one of those ma- I remember I remember those that didn't even bring a backpack yeah. just yeah. bring a pencil yeah. like not even like extra lead or like an, uh, a sharpener nothing. nothing and somehow pass all of their classes with like
3: bees mm-hmm.
2: yeah and that that was my mentality the great uh, level is different there here you do a, B, C, D, or whatever. Um, back that uh, in the Netherlands, you get numbers. So, if you have a five and a half, a ten is the highest, or a ten plus. Five and a half means you passed. Barely, but you passed. So, I didn't care. If I got a five and a half, I passed, I'm okay with it, because it didn't really have my interest. Hmm. But, some reason, uh, for some reason, I managed to pass all my classes. I never failed a class, uh, never had to redo a, a class. Um, got some warnings and complaints <laughs> to my mom, like, Hey, your kid is not paying attention, he's uh, a menace. But I managed to, to finish it, and um, it was when i turned 18 and i had a girlfriend and i had my dog i had my dog um nero i bought him and at that point i was driving with my coach to one of my fights and it suddenly hit me i thought i'm 18 i'm a man now i need to make decisions in life um So, as we were driving, I asked him, like, hey, coach, do you think I can make a living out of the sport? You know, because I was also not in a weight class at that moment where you would make life changing money, you know? Uh, Obviously, for an 18, 19, 20 year old kid, it was a lot of money at that time, but you're not, you don't have a pension as a fighter. Fighting is an ungrateful sport so i asked him and like i said he was a no bullshit no nonsense guy so he probably thought what the fuck are you asking me just go in and win this next fight <laughs> so that's basically what he said he said well you will if you keep winning that's all he said to me um obviously that was not enough to convince me so i said uh, to myself I'm gonna either quit. I was gonna quit when I was turned eighteen, cause I, I never. I'm, I was always scared of failing in life. You know, because where I came from, because certain people in my life and what I saw, what I saw happening in my life. So I had two directions: either I went to the streets, like most people I knew and grew up with, or I would make a career in fighting. So at that point, I didn't want to go to the streets because like I said, most of them are not alive now or they're in jail. So I made uh, a plan and I, I reached out to a few of the biggest, uh, man- no, basically all of the managers had interest in me at that time because I was uh, knocking everybody out. So they came to me and I, I had to sit down with most of them and I said, hey, either you guys guarantee me this or I, I'm going to the army. I already applied to go into the army. And I got accepted. Um, I did all the tests and, you know, obviously I did pretty good on, on all of the tests. And um, I was going for special forces and, um I asked them, and all of them said they could, and I picked the best option for me, and um, I went with Red Devil, uh, was an MMA team at that time, and I was the only kickboxer that they were managing. And um, that went great until I kinda outgrew them, and then I went with It's Showtime, or Black Label Fighting. Um, and, I did great. I won all the titles that I could have won. Won all my fights and then I moved to the states.
0: How did you how did you overcome that fear of failing that you were talking about? So because obviously you still chose you still cho- chose to take a risk and you know choose a path that is fighting that isn't necessarily guaranteed. Like yeah, you You've got a good deal with a, with, a good, with a good company but with a good team, but ultimately it's still a risk, right? Like you can go into your next fight and absolutely blow it. When, when do you feel like you started getting confident in, 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 in your abilities to monetize your fighting?
2: Never. You'll never... I'll probably never uh, get over that. I'm always scared to fail in life. um the only thing that gives me some type of comfort with fighting is because i know that i'm kind of kind of in control i put in the work
3: mm-hmm.
2: i believe in myself i don't doubt myself when I put in the work and I go for it. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what people say, think, or their opinion about me because that doesn't do much for me, It doesn't pay my bills, doesn't motivate me or kind of sometimes it motivates you when, when people you know, think you're not gonna perform or you, mm-hmm. you don't stand a chance. Those are the things that I like. I like being the underdog, um, didn't last long <laughs> when I, you know, in, especially in kickboxing. But then I went to boxing and the same thing happened again. And yeah, uh,
0: talk, talk to me about that shift from kickboxing into boxing. Did you do amateurs? No. You went straight to boxing? Pro,
2: pro. Yeah. The thing is that, um, like you said, uh, fighting is not necessarily a guarantee because you could be the best. And I would never say I'm the best, but at that time I was the champion and I was winning all my fights uh, very impressively. And then um, I was in Turkey, um, already with the plans that that was gonna be my last kickboxing tournament uh, to defend, defend my world title. And I broke my leg. I snapped my leg in half. I broke my tibia, my fibia, both. I just kicked on a check and my leg snapped. And um, obviously I was devastated. I was in a lot of pain, but you know, I flew back from Turkey. They wanted to do the operation there. I didn't do it. So I signed my own dismissal. Uh, they gave me a a shot for uh, to prevent blood clots had to find a flight Uh, I flew back coach I traveled 36 hours with a broken leg came back I took the shot and um, as soon as I landed here on West Palm Beach because I had a connection we landed from Turkey to Newark and then from Newark Airport to West Palm and uh, I got surgery there and I went straight there. And you know, at that moment I got into a little bit of a depression, um, broke my leg. I had, even though I thought I had everything figured out, I had the wrong people around me that took advantage. Um, mismanagement of a lot of things uh, financially and stuff like that. and you know, it makes you reflect and think like, yo, what if this was the end? Why, what did I do it all for? You know, and um, I saw it as a sign. Uh, I was already planning to go into boxing and um, I did. And I, I, I made a plan with Pedro. Uh, I had my debut uh, like 10 months after I broke my leg. Uh, How did you
0: and Pedro connect initially?
2: Pedro came to the Black Sillians at the time, the team that I was uh, part of, and um, he came to help some of the MMA fighters with their boxing. Um, And it was around that time that I saw him for the first time on the 24-7 with Miguel Cotto. Mm -hmm. And I just liked his style. I liked his energy even throughout throughout the screen
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, so I the morning I walked in and he was there I was like fuck this is his fate mm-hmm. so um, he himself the moment he saw me on the mitts or saw me spar, he was like I need this kid so we connected and we never really split up and it's been for years now
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, so I had all my professional boxing fights with Pedro was
0: that bittersweet to to end your kickboxing career? Like, were you? Do you feel like you did everything you wanted to do in that sport, or did you feel like it ended early for you?
2: At that point, at that point, like I said, I already kind of had the plan to go into boxing. Um, obviously, I didn't want to end it on that note. You right. Know, it's like,
0: hard when an injury forces you out of a sport because yeah. I experienced something similar with with powerlifting, so I know.
2: But then they came after they still won because that was also the last fight on my contract, but they came back with an offer and I felt that it was kind of disrespectful for all the things that I did for the sport and Mm -hmm. for the company. So I declined and I was like, you know what? I don't care if I need to eat rocks and salt. I'm (laughs) not going to take that offer. I won't do it. And I'm, I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I didn't. I mean, when I first started boxing, they said, you won't be successful. I became champion, I'm 14 and 0. And I'm proud of my accomplishments because I, not necessarily because of um, me winning or whatever, I know where I come from. I know what kind of work I had to put in and I know what kind of mental state I was in and to keep on pushing. I'm proud of that more than anything.
0: How did you push through those tough times like if you were depressed or, or going through shit? like How did you keep showing up to train regardless of your, your emotional state at the moment? That's a question I get all the time. Like people ask me all the time, "Oh, how do you stay motivated? How do you keep training when you don't feel like it?" You know, and I guess like uh, I'm similar to you in that in that way that like I've I've also not had it easy growing up, and so you know I've also had to kind of put my emotions in the backseat and just fucking go, just do what I needed to do. So I I understand you, but I think I think a lot of people really. Um, look up to and admire this type of mentality and and are always curious as to like what our strategies are in order to stay disciplined when when shit hits the fan or we don't when our mind is not like 100% there you know
1: what's up everyone it's your favorite podcast producer nick tracana here to give you a word from our incredible sponsor over at element because we love y'all so much over here at hybrid unlimited we're gonna hook you up with a free sample pack of element just for you each sample pack includes eight grab-and-go packets in a variety of different flavors. All you have to do is go to drinkelement.com slash hybrid. That's drinklmnt.com slash hybrid.
2: I think multiple things, but one thing my grandfather told me, um, and it has to do with nature, and, and it's more of a... Uh, metaphor to life, you know, it's like, you see when you have water that's flowing through a river, everything flourishes, it's in movement. So plants, fruits, everything grows, animals come to drink there. Animals live in the water fish, you name it, they live. But if you see that water is still, Everything inside, if it's if there is no movement, it's dead. Mm-hmm. You know, the plants don't flourish. Nothing grows. So, even though I was down and out, you know, if you if I would stay still, I would die. And and that's a thought that crossed my mind. You know, like do do I want to live? Do I want this? Like it's it's, you know, and and it's crazy because. We're living a blessed life, but you could still not be happy on the inside. Of you course. understand? Of course, so.
0: independently of, of all the, the good things that are happening around you sometimes, I don't know, there might be something missing. What was missing for you at that point in your life where you, where, where you didn't feel fulfilled? Where you maybe, you were questioning whether you wanted to keep going or not?
2: Just a deep form of unhappiness inside at that moment I guess um, you know this is one of my things I kind of when you move on you put it away um, that's how I deal with it I don't think about it anymore and uh, it's like you know if you keep looking back you you can't see where you're going so I'm I'm just going now but it's every day life is not easy there is no blueprint for life. Um, I think, you know, we're. When you look at the origin of people and how we're meant to be living, almost no one is doing it nowadays. We're all being programmed by, whether it's religion or propaganda, uh, politics, uh, different different agendas, technology, being pushed through our throat. And 99.9% of the people accepts it, you know, and one thing about me, I don't know, I don't know if I'm a good guy, I don't know if I'm a bad guy, I just know that I'm me, and I'm unapologetically myself. Um, And I, I guess I gotta accept that some people will like me, some people won't like me, but I don't like most people, so I'm okay <laughs> with it.
0: You know? Yo, I love this guy. You know? He's me, yeah. from Suriname. Yeah.
2: So it's just this. It's just hard when you let. I don't, I don't let a lot of people in, so. Smart guy. When you do. Those are kind of the people that really know me, um, and then sometimes you still get burned. Well, and you know, but you know, a lot, a lot of people say they want real and they want authentic. Until you're, you are, you are real really and authentic, and when it's
0: they can't handle it.
2: When it's not exactly how they want it, mm-hmm. or how they feel things, it's a problem. You are the bad guy. hundred so percent. I think I'm a bad guy.
0: I'm probably a bad, a bad guy for a lot of people as well, and I am unapologetically myself and upset a lot of people yeah. on a consistent basis. Caesar's one of the few people that tolerates my, my madness. But yeah, man, I mean, it's rare to find somebody that just like wears their heart on their sleeve and just says things as they view it and as they think them without sugarcoating. You know, I have the same issue. My mom was talking to me the other day about that. She's like, maybe you need to refine your social skills, and I'm like, nah. Maybe people need to stop being so fucking soft, really.
2: Yeah, and and even there, you know, like, I um, I have done a lot of work on myself throughout the years. Uh, I I believe I grew a lot as a as a person, as a man. You know, things are not easy, and. One thing I have the utmost respect for is women. Um, Because they don't have it easy. The things they have to deal with. Rape. uh, Disadvantage. You name it. Uh, It's not easy. But honestly. And that's just me being really genuine. To be a real man in this time and age. It's not fucking easy. So... All in all...
0: How do you define a real man?
2: I can't. You got to cancel the podcast if I start <laughs> speaking. I can't. I mean... I mean... I just... A real man does what he needs to do and... Um, I guess tries... But it seems impossible. Tries not to hurt people along that road. Take care, taking care of your responsibilities as a man. Um, if you have children, you take care of your children. Um, always look out for your mom, no matter what, and. You know, it's not. It's it's just not easy to be a man, especially now. In this period of my life, I encountered a few things, and I can say, like, it's not easy to be a man. You you can get made out to be a lot of things, Mm -hmm. um, just because sometimes things don't go exactly um, as someone else wants it or how someone else feels it. You know, it's not easy.
0: What's, what's been your your the biggest obstacle that you've had to overcome over the years, or one of the biggest?
2: I guess love. I guess love.
0: Someone broke your heart, or did
2: you? I, 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 my heart has been broken many times, but um, and it, it it doesn't always have to be romantically your heart can be broken different ways, but I'm thankful because it means I'm alive, you know, and um, love is a beautiful feeling. Um, I, uh, like I said, I, I don't like people too much, so I'm I'm more with my animals and stuff like that, but I guess I'm the type of person when I love somebody or when I love something I love hard, very hard. So sometimes it, it's not appreciated. Or like, it it's complicated. It's just it is. It, but I think that's that's one of the things, but other than that, um, for me personally, that that's the hardest thing because uh, other than that, I'm I'm solid. I guess, you know, Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. don't care what people think. I don't care what people say or their opinions, what they do, but when love is there, when you give somebody love, you give them power because you have that feeling. Mm -hmm. So, if I love you, if you say something to me, you hurt me. He could say the same stuff, the same things to me. I wouldn't lose sleep over it. That's true. So, that's why sometimes you got to be careful who you let in and who you give love to, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? That's That's wise. That's the thing.
0: That's wise. Um, I want to talk about your mindset approaching a fight. We had a really interesting conversation last time I fought. Because one of my biggest challenges just being so new to the sport is like being able to turn on that like, all right, like fighter mode on. I know that you always say like outside of the ring, we're friends, inside of the ring, we're absolute enemies. Like I'm going to absolutely destroy you inside the ring. And I sometimes struggle with that. I don't know what it is, just, I struggle to find that, like, killer animal instinct when I'm when I'm in the ring. And you gave me some really good advice. You want to share it?
2: I don't know what I exactly said that day.
0: <laughs> it was so good. I don't remember exactly what either. But you were saying, like, <sighs> something about hunting and how you, like, sometimes you have to, like, go back to the jungle and hunt so you can have that killer instinct.
2: Oh, yeah. Like... You know, with my culture and in the tradition with the natives, like every year I need to hunt to have my kill. And that's not, you know, I know in this time you have a lot of vegans, you have like, how people look at me and say like, how can you love animals so much but then go kill an innocent animal it's not it's um it's an honor it's me um feeding my inner warrior my spirit you know and i need to have a kill every year to remind me where i'm from and you know like i said somebody i love very much taught me this about myself because I'm easygoing, but I'm also very difficult. So I don't make sense. (laughs) I say a lot, but sometimes I don't make sense at all. And she said to me, like, yeah, because you're an oxymoron, you know. And I've been trying to find that word for years to explain to people who I am as uh, my character or as a person. Mm -hmm. Well, now she gave it a name, and, and I hundred percent agree that I'm an oxymoron I don't really make sense but yeah you need you need that because um, you know you need to feed your inner warrior and, and remind yourself uh, that you are a warrior and it's a it's a respecting it's not going to waste I eat my kill I use everything of the animal and uh, show it and pay it my respect and I'm thankful that it's feeding me um, and, you know, about the fighting, fighting in the ring like that is me not giving 100% to my opponent would be disrespectful as well. Like he trained with intensity to put me to sleep or harm me physically at that moment for those amount of rounds and that duration of time. We're not friends. We're fighting, and my mindset is that I go in there, and I'm a I'm a little bit of an extreme guy, um, thinking wise and everything. But that's what drives me. You know, for somebody else, it's maybe different. But to me, it's like people say, "Oh, you're so confident," or "You're so calm." How come or whatever? Yeah, because the moment I sign the contract and everything, at that moment that I do that, I accept one thing. I accept death. I'm going in there with a will to die. And I signed the contract, so it's my choice. And no matter what, I'm going to do everything in my power to win because I don't want to die. And if I do, then that's my fate. Something. So it's a little extreme. Uh, some people might say like you're a fucking weirdo for thinking like that. But shit, it works for me.
0: What did you say about um, us already living in borrowed time? Do you remember?
2: Yeah, we're we're living in borrowed time. You know, every day uh, uh, above the ground is is a blessing and. Um, You know, we, we we really think so much about ourselves. People, humans, we think so much about ourselves, but we're actually nothing, you know. <laughs> we're nothing. I mean, we're sitting here in the studio right now, but if nature decides that the earth rips right here and we fall down, we're gone. Mm-hmm. Nothing with your big muscles and everything, and you lift a, a million pounds there, you can't stop it. Mm-hmm. Why is everybody freaking out when when a hurricane hits a, and a Cat Five? Everybody freaks out. Yes, yeah, we why? have no,
0: no control over it.
2: We're we're not in control mm-hmm. as much as we think. So that's why I never like. You could see me on the corner here talking to a homeless person for an hour, and the president of one of the biggest companies could be an asshole, and I won't give him two seconds of my time. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's not about that for me. I always stay, try to stay humble um, because I don't see myself as better than anyone else. I'm just lucky I found something that I was decent at. But other than that, I'm, my animals and nature, that's what I love. Because eventually that's, that's where we're, we're going to return to.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. I, lo- I really like that mindset. And that, that conversation helped me a ton for that fight. I'm still trying to look for my, try to, trying to find my killer instinct. And I was telling you, maybe you need to take me with you to Suriname. You, for a you, hunt.
2: you could, you would love it. You would love it. I know, I probably and, would. Um, there's, there <laughs> is, there is... was
0: come back so insane. She, Even she, more. She,
2: <laughs> but there is also here, you know, nature, like, our biggest teachers in life is time and, and nature, you know, and... Um, surrounding yourself with people that are maybe a little grounded and a lot of people say it but they don't really want to be confronted with what life really is i think no because
0: we don't like to confront things we don't understand because it's scary
2: but that's the thing life doesn't make sense and a lot of things don't make sense they can't be explained Mm -hmm. they're not like because there's, how can we follow one set of rules that's written a few hundred years ago by some people? You don't even know. Your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-great-grandparents never met them. And just because they said it's like this, we have to follow it like that. <laughs> I don't know. Some people believe in God. Others believe in Allah. Others believe in Buddha. What do you believe in? I believe in nature and other things I keep to myself because it's private, it's my, it's for me and what, like, when you have a diamond, you got a bag of diamonds worth so much, they mean a lot to you because it's, it's worth a lot, right? And you, you're in your house you going to just recklessly leave them on the countertop?
0: Me, probably, yeah. Yeah?
2: yeah? Okay, most... Yeah, no, no <laughs> she's not normal. Most people, what, what do you do with, with things that are worth a lot to you?
0: You put them in a safe place.
2: So you put them in, the, in your safe, probably. Mm-hmm. So certain things that are worth a lot to me, you won't... Like, my social media is trash, to be honest. I could do so much more, but a lot of things that are worth something to me, I don't feel like sharing. Why would I? I put them in a safe where they're safe and I protect them with my life. So certain things, I'm not ashamed to speak about anything, but certain things I keep for me because they mean a lot to me and I keep them in my safe right here and here. So Yeah,
0: not everything is meant to be shared with everyone.
2: uh, You know, but we live in a time and era where everybody wants to show things because it means you're either successful or you're something, but most people pretend to be something they're not. It's true. And a lot of people might agree, some might disagree, but... I try to be as much as what you see is what you get, because that's me.
0: Mm-hmm. That's rare. I I appreciate that, and I kind of had that feeling from the first moment that I that I met you. That's why I've been so persistent in you coming here, podcast, and and just pretty much begging you to be my friend.
2: She she's lying. <laughs> she's lying. I, I'm not that hard to reach, right? <clears throat> <laughs> sure. I am. Yeah. I, I'm I'm bad at. Uh, Returning phone calls. There we and,
0: go. Now we're being honest. Mm-hmm. Now we're being honest.
2: That's not what you're saying I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm pretty... I, I'm, I'm, I don't <laughs> yeah. reply like... Even my good friends like that I have for many years, they're like... Sometimes they're calling like, Nigga, you alive? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> okay. And that's all I say. Yeah, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And I hang up. I said like, I got to do something. Because, you know, it doesn't... Like I like relationships where I don't need to speak to you every day. I don't need to like see you every day. Um but when we do it's it's all good. Yeah, and it's meaningful you know? and and, meaningful and it's real. Encounter. Yeah. It's because if I have to like do that just to keep something alive, that means that it wasn't even there to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. but I um yeah, I'm happy I'm here now.
0: I dig it. I'm happy you're here. Um, so 12 professional boxing fights, yeah? 14. 14. You're 14, I know. Yeah. Did you ever uh, lose any kickboxing fights?
2: Yes, I did. Yeah. How did you feel? Oof. Um, the first time I lost, um, I was like... 23 or 24 years old. I had a crazy record at that time. I was like 66 and old. And I was like, it was a lesson. It was a lesson to keep me grounded. Cause as a young kid, your mind and your thought process is different. So I, um, I was toying around with a guy that I lost to in the amateurs one time uh, because of an injury. And I was so happy because he was bragging about it for the longest time, that I'm the only one who beat him. So I was like, man, whew. And I gave him the worst beating ever. I was whooping him from post to post. And every time I would knock him down, I would on um, like purposely let him up and I would step back to let him breathe so he wouldn't go down so I could beat him some more.
0: Oh, my God. That's and, a nightmare.
2: And I had people like all my all my guys from the streets had like VIP tables. So I was giving a show and I paid for it because um, I knocked him down like three times already in a fight. I was like just giving him... Honestly, it was a bad beating. And I threw a high kick, and for some reason, my foot got caught on the top rope for a split second. And he swinged with their life, with everything he had. The first one misses, and he came back with a left hook. And I, I, I didn't see it, and I still can't see it. <laughs> and... Um, he knocked me down so bad, and you—you you ever had a, a, a scuba diver effect?
0: No.
2: That's when you try to get up, but you fall down with your head again, and your ass is oh up, and my you're like, God. Oh. "Yeah, yeah." That's how I was. So I got up, and um, I don't know how I beat the count, and I try to fight back, but he just swarmed me and just throwing punches and bunches and bunches and the referee stopped the fight because i was not there and i wasn't and i was not even there i kept asking in the locker room like i lost what happened that's how bad it was and that was my first loss and it hurt me badly one because if i took it seriously like i would have finished him in the first round quick Second, I gave him more bragging rights because now he beat me twice. Fuck. And third, my coach gave me hell. Cause I was like, you know, you win some, you lose some. He's like, no, dumb motherfucker, you win some, uh, you lose some, you l lo- or you <laughs> he said something, you would you lose some, you, lose you some. dumb some. <laughs> and I was like yeah whatever and he gave me shit but it didn't break my spirit it didn't break my spirit I, I went back on track and kept doing what I did afterwards like nothing happened um,
0: that's I think that's the best way to do it like pretend it never even happened Just oh train, no I,
2: I, like, could, I couldn't even pretend it didn't happen because it fucking happened he, <laughs> he, he, he he got me good and but I just kept winning after that and you know one thing is uh, he was probably just the guy that the higher force put in my life to humble me and make sure that I never forget that and I um, I never made that mistake again I never played with any opponent because it's disrespectful it was this what I did to him was disrespectful and i didn't get away with it Mm
3: -hmm.
2: had i got away with it maybe i would have tried it with somebody else when it was actually a more meaningful fight not that this was meaningful to me Mm -hmm. but that that's why it taught me such a great lesson because Mm -hmm. i never lost a title fight after that
3: Mm -hmm.
2: no matter how big or bad the opponents were
3: Mm
2: -hmm. um, because i didn't play i was serious and i took them serious and i gave them the utmost respect.
0: Yeah, because in in any sort of fight, you're always one punch away from being knocked out or knocked yeah. down, and it's it can be you can be dominating the entire fight, and then that one punch that go that got away just fucking put you to sleep.
2: Only takes one.
0: Only takes one. Yeah, man, that's crazy. So are you fighting again?
2: Hopefully, yeah. I wanna I wanna fight uh, probably in July, August, something like that
0: uh boxing or
2: i don't know yet we'll see okay. you know i i'm i'm at a stage now that i would take whatever challenges me and if it makes sense you know in all aspects um yeah
0: that's awesome would you train over at pedro's
2: yeah yeah I, i'm i'm working on imagine
0: that we could be training partners <sighs>
2: You're badass. I can't keep up with you. I heard great stories about you. You're a a, a workhorse as well. Who told you? I have my sources.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I try. I try. Um, Well, listen, this has been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you taking your time and coming down here to talk to me. And hopefully, you know, next time I see you won't be in like another six months.
2: Well you're very busy but I
0: told you I want to go up there and 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 ride a horse
2: yeah you can come over always it's always no problem whenever you have time because this woman goes to different states and then saying like she I hear she's gonna move there I'm like (laughs) I thought we had a. I thought I thought you wanted me on a podcast (laughs) you want me to buy a ticket now to do it I'm like come on now
0: (laughs) Nah, I'm here Anyway, thank you so much. Appreciate your time.
2: I appreciate you. Thank you guys for
3: having me.